welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show which reveals the habits, fears, failures, and joys of today's most inspiring and successful entrepreneurs, with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now, here's your host, Simon Sander. Hey, this is Simon, and I don't know if you noticed, but the intro was a bit different this time. Well, the reason is simple. We are not a daily podcast anymore. I got a lot of comments and emails throughout the months, um, and a lot of you said that you just don't have time to listen one episode every single day because there's so many other great podcasts out there, so I can't expect every single one of you to listen to our show every day. And that's why we're going to a bit of a different schedule. From today, we're starting Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. So new episodes three times a week. So let's not waste any more time and let's get into the show. Welcome, Brienne Dick. Glad to be here. Brienne is the founder and the lead consultant at MNIB Consulting, a consultancy that helps owners scale their training companies. She has helped some of the world's top thought leaders maximize referrals, retention, and repeat buyers by creating programs and products that customers can't stop talking about. Brienne, take a minute to fill in some gaps from that intro and Give us a little glimpse of your personal life. Absolutely. So uh, just before we started recording here, we were talking about uh, I'm Canadian. I live in Alberta, Canada, and uh, we're recording this on American Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving here in Canada. Although as I look out my window, you almost could think it's still October because there is no snow on the ground, which is ridiculous considering it's almost the end of November. Of course, having said that, we'll probably get about three feet in the next day or so. It's been my luck. (laughs) Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in Minnesota right now, and I don't know if uh, you know that Minnesota is really famous for having the most terrible weather, and we don't have any snow. I'm looking out of the window right now, and same thing. Yeah, it's just crazy. So, anyways, that's uh, that's where I'm at. And as you mentioned, I run a small consultancy, and we specifically focus on online business owners and helping them really grow from a you know a, a relatively successful new business into a more successful established business. So a lot of our, our business owners have had just their first six-figure year. Maybe they're, they've done a couple of six figures and they're really shooting for a million dollars and beyond. They've got really big dreams, really big aspirations. But what they've learned is that there's problems that happen, problems that they, that, that they come across. Sometimes you know, they might be a million dollar business and they run across these problems. And then I turn and I look and I say, well, that's the same problem that I see someone having at $50,000 or $100,000. And so what we do is, is we help them solve these underlying root problems in their business, which is the same a lot of cases, no matter how big the business is, so that they can overcome their growth challenge and get to that next level, whatever that next level is. So tell me, how did you get started with uh, training world-class online companies? It's a really good question. The short version of a long story is that I actually started off in higher education. I worked in a technical college. I started off just by developing course websites. And as I was working there, I was there for about five years. And as happens, I moved up the ladder and eventually moved into a management position where I was managing a team and a department and all of the training materials that 
were going into the training for for this entire department. So, you know, online courses and online training was a really big thing. And we were trying to be at the vanguard of that at the time, trying to really be moving the institution in that direction. And of course, as happens when you're in a big, a big organization like that, the higher you move up, the more politics there is, the more bureaucracy that is. And I got to a certain level where I said, uh, can't do it anymore. And given that I had been you know, a web designer when I started, I had some technical skills. I said, you know what? I bet if I actually tried, I could make a go as a freelancer. And so that's that's what I did. I left my, my day job and I thought, I'm just going to freelance web design. Not having any idea how to do that, I started taking online courses and I started trying to learn, you know, how do I price, how to sell my services, all that kind of stuff. And the problem that I ran into is that I would take these courses and I would realize that they weren't actually getting me where I wanted to go. They weren't actually helping me achieve the result that I wanted to achieve. And with my background, having worked in higher ed and having developed curriculum and all of that sort of thing, I realized that there was a lot of value that was locked up in the ivory tower. Not to say that colleges have it all right. They don't. But there's a lot of knowledge about how people learn and how we can help people achieve their goals that if only we could bring that to the entrepreneurial online training world, how much better our customers would be. And so that's really where it started. I started, you know, discussing that with people, having conversations and ultimately consulting with people on how to take their programs, their courses, their workshops and make them world class to the kind of program that people just can't stop talking about. So you started the MNIB Consulting three years ago. Tell me about the beginning times of starting that company. Well, as I kind of alluded to, it didn't start off as a consulting company at all. In fact, when I started, I had no designs on building a company. I thought that I was just going to be a freelancer. I had no intention of doing anything more than maybe making an equivalent salary to what I had been at my day job, maybe a little bit more because more is always good. But, you know, I was I was looking at it from the perspective of, I'm going to contract my services out to other companies. I'm going to build them a website, maybe do some brand stuff and maybe some maintenance. And that was as far ahead as I had thought. And that is so far removed from what our business model looks like now, where we are doing consulting and doing training of our own. And when I say we, I mean we, it's not just me. And I don't look at it as I am the one providing the services now, The question that I'm asking myself regularly isn't, you know, how am I going to help this client? It's how is my team going to help the client and how can I help them do that more effectively? It's not to say that I don't work with clients anymore, but it's a big difference in terms of where I started, which was that I had just no idea, no aspiration for anything beyond being my own boss to the point now where I see myself as the owner of a company as well as the CEO. And those roles are more important to me than being my own boss. So what was your mindset uh, when you started off as a freelancer and then moved into a consulting? Did you know that you're going to make it or was there some scarcity as well? Well, you never, you know, if I, if I could have a magic uh, crystal ball, I would not, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking with you. I'd probably be on, you know, a beach somewhere with my billions of dollars in my back pocket and all of that kind of thing. And I think anytime there's uncertainty, we have to weigh the risks and the possible rewards. And I am very risk averse. I don't like risk. I don't like taking risk. Um, I don't 
in a lot of ways, I, I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur because I, I had this story in my head that entrepreneurs are risk takers. What I've learned actually is that entrepreneurs overall tend to be quite risk averse. And that's why that we make the decisions that we do, because we want to create more security for ourselves. And for me specifically, what what that looked like was I remember when I was at my day job and there was an exercise that my mentor had me do, which was basically look at life and work through a series of different lenses. So, you know, what kind of environment do you like being in the most when you're working? What uh, are your personal values? What types of tools do you like to use? What kind of process do you like to follow? Who do you like to work with as colleagues? Who do you like to work with as clients? Um, How do you want to be compensated? How do you want your work to fit into your life? And he challenged me to basically go through and, you know, just say three to five bullets for each of those areas. And then he said to me, Brianne, what I want you to do is anytime you're looking at an opportunity, what I want you to ask yourself is, does this opportunity check off at least one more of the bullet points than the situation I'm currently in? And asking that question as my business has grown, as it's changed, as our services have changed, has helped me to feel as though, yes, there's a risk here. There's always a risk. But there's a reward because I'm getting closer to that vision, to that ideal, to, you know, those those bullet points. I'm checking off more and more and more of them. For me, what makes the difference, it's not about getting closer to some vague goal. It's about what can I create in my present reality that is going to be worth the risk? What is going to be worth? Because every every change also involves pain. You have to do something that you don't want to do. Maybe you have to spend more money than you're used to. Maybe you have to spend time differently. Maybe you have to just get uncomfortable. Um, for me, I for a long time, I hated even getting on Skype. I hated it. I just hated having conversations where I couldn't predict what was going to happen. And I knew that 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 discomfort was a price that I was going to have to pay if I wanted to be able to get my work out there in a bigger way. And so I started saying, yes, I'm going to pay the price of discomfort. Yes, I'm going to say yes to a podcast interview or being on Facebook Live. Now it's old hat for me. Now it's not a big deal. But at the time, it was a big deal. And I had to be willing to make the conscious choice to say, yes, discomfort is real. And I'm willing to pay the cost of this discomfort in order to achieve this part of my ultimate vision. I want to jump into our first topic, uh, Brianne. Could you tell me, as an entrepreneur, what is the one thing that you do that you feel has been the biggest contributor to your successes so far? Man, the biggest thing, that's a thats a tricky one because I feel like it's probably hasn't happened yet. <laughs> every time, every time I think I've figured out what the biggest thing is, the biggest aha is, there's always another one that's just around the corner. So maybe I can't give you the biggest one, but I can give you one of the latest ones. And this just happened within the last month where I looked at, I was looking at my business financials and I was going through and seeing, you know, how much money are we bringing in and where are we spending it and all that kind of thing. And I looked at where I had been spending money, how I was investing money, what I thought I was investing money into the growth of the company. And I looked at it and I said, you know what, all of all of the stuff that I've chosen to spend money on hasn't actually been about growing the company or growing the business. It's been about making my life easier, right? Hiring an assistant to make my life easier. 
buying new software to make my life easier, doing a training course to make my life easier, going to a conference to make my life easier. And yes, making my life easier is a good thing, but that's not the same as growing my company. And so one of the big shifts for me has been to redefine this idea of investment because, you know, when I was starting out, I was bootstrapping. I didn't spend money on anything other than a couple of those terrible courses that I mentioned. Um, but I, I, I really resisted spending money on anything. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, as my business has grown, I've held on to that mindset. And I've looked at my spending in my businesses. How can I make my life easier so that I can do more? And what I didn't realize, and I wish I had realized it much earlier than I did because it would have made my life a lot easier, ironically, is that if instead of trying to make my life easier, I focused instead on investing in things that are going to grow the business without me having to directly be involved. So how can I get results without having to personally go through the training? How can I get results without having to personally get software that's going to make my life easier? What if instead of asking, how can I make my life easier? I asked, what is the growth level that I want to achieve? And how can, what is the right investment to get to that growth level? That to me has been a big change in terms of thinking like spending like a business owner instead of like spending like someone who's self-employed. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs have different ideas on that topic. Um, tell me what uh, did you cut down? Uh, did you turn your business around in that bit? Uh, did you cut down a lot of expenses? Well, like I said, our expenses have always been really low. And that was actually the problem is that uh, I, you know, I very, I highly recommend the book Profit First, which outlines some various percentages that you should be looking at hitting in your business in terms of how much to spend on operating expenses, how much to pay yourself, that kind of thing. Um, but what I realized is that I was not spending even a fraction of what was recommended on operating expenses. And I, uh, you know, for a long time, I was quite proud of myself. I was like, yeah, I'm running a really lean business. Look at my huge profit margins. Um, but the problem was that in doing that, I was actually restricting my ability to grow. So one of the big changes that we've made in terms of how we're allocating spending on a go forward basis is that we've made the active decision that we are willing to spend hundreds of dollars to acquire a new customer. In fact, we're willing to spend four or five hundred dollars to go and get a customer because we know that at the end of the day, that customer is going to be worth at least two thousand dollars. And over their lifetime of spending with us, they might be worth twenty thousand dollars or maybe even two hundred thousand dollars. And so it's that shift in mindset from I got to hustle more to get the customers. I got to yeah, again, I got to go and get the right software. I got to take the Facebook ads course. I got to do this. I got to learn how to do that instead of it being that and, and focusing my time and effort on that. I'm not investing in making my life easier anymore. Instead, I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to spend four or $500 to go get one new customer. And if you had said that to me even six months ago or a year ago, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way. I don't spend $500 on anything. Never mind on getting a customer. But when I actually looked at the numbers and I say, if I spend $500, I know that I will get at least $2,000 because I'm spending to get a customer, right? It's not, I mean, you work it back and it's like X number of dollars per lead and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, if I'm spending $500 to get a customer and that customer is going to be spending at least $2,000 with the possibility of 10 or more times that over the lifetime that they work with our company, $500 at the end of the day is not actually as much money as it sounds like 
even to me as I'm saying it, and this is why I say it out loud as much as I can, to get used to the idea, I'm going to spend $500 to get a customer. It sounds crazy to me, but I know that that's what I have to do. Where is that money spent right now? Where do the customers come? Do they land on your website? Are you putting out the Facebook ads or what's your number one referral source for that? Right now, our business is based around going deep with a small number of customers. So we're not interested in having thousands of customers that pay us a small amount that adds up to a big number at the end of the year. I would much rather, this is my personal style and and it's the way I've built the team and the the company because it's my way of wanting to work. It's one of my values is I'd rather work with 10 people at $15,000 rather than 100 people at 1500 or whatever the math would work out to be. And so for us, that means that we've been really intentional in terms of focusing our efforts on connecting with more of the right people on an individual level. So getting introductions from trusted referral sources, that sort of thing. Um, We actually view referrals like a lot of people look at sales. So they, they do content marketing you know, they, they have a sale, a, a marketing campaign, which leads into a sales campaign, which leads to a sales page with a buy button on it. And what we do is we do that to an extent, but we've seen better results by taking that same approach and applying it more to introductions and referrals. So we'll have a marketing campaign that leads to a referral campaign that leads to a referral page where the call to action isn't buy now, it's refer now. It's the same method and it's the same mechanism that's working behind the scenes. But instead of trying to get people to buy directly, we're trying to get them to invite a friend to connect with us so we can hop on a sales call with them and make the bigger ticket, higher dollar sale. And your services aren't cheap. As you said, they're quite expensive. Yeah. It's fascinating that you were able to build a business around that. How often usually clients stay? Uh, that's a good question. So we built our business specifically because we want to be serving the same customer over and over and over again. Um, the stats from the research are that it's something like seven times less expensive to keep an existing customer than it is to acquire a new one. And so we've really been focused on that. And we've designed our entire business model and the suite of services we have to allow for that. So some of, you know, some clients will come to us and they'll just work with us once and then they'll go on their way and that's fine. But our favorite customers and the ones that we're really trying to curate will come to us and they'll work with us, you know, in a a one-off consulting session, a half day a half day session and then we'll do maybe a three month project you know clearly defined outcomes this is what we're going to work on and if that goes well we might do another one or at that point we might move them into a retainer and so we've had clients uh, on retainer for you know six 12 18 months even longer than that multiple years um, because at that level we've become essentially another part of their team where they we are integral to their success and so they're willing to pay us on retainer just to be available to them on an ongoing basis i want to talk about the worst entrepreneurial moment uh, for a second we are big on storytelling. Uh, Brian, do you have a story which really shaped your life where you learn from failure or a major hardship? Yeah. So when I, uh, uh, well, like I said, when I was starting my business, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, it was pretty obvious, I think. Uh, and it led to to a mistake that I still think about. And I, I mean, I think about it because I'm learning from it and I'm not going to make the same mistake again. Because what was happened is, as I mentioned, I took some of these online courses and I I thought they weren't very good. 
So I reached out to one of the people because I had signed up for their their program and it was a, a beta program. And so I reached out and said, hey, you know, I I happen to know a thing or two about curriculum design and instructional design. Is that the kind of feedback you're looking for? And, you know, the, the person for some reason saw something in my email and they said, sure, I'd love to. And so we, you know, we sat down and we talked and came up with a, a plan and a project that I was going to to do for them. And, you know, I, I busily started working away and, you know, came back uh, a couple of weeks later and showing, you know, wanted to show off what I had done. And, and uh, this, this person said, well, actually that's, that's not really what I want, you know, thanks. Thanks. But this isn't what I thought we were doing. And, you know, let's, you know, maybe we can do this other thing on the side. And so at the end of the day, I had done all this work thinking that I had this project in the bag and, you know, I, I got paid a little bit, but not nearly what I thought I was going to get paid. But that wasn't the lesson. The lesson happened about a year later when the same individual came back to me and said, you know, I've got this project. You're going to be perfect for it based on what I've seen from you and what we did before. You're going to be great. I would love to have you working on this with us. You know, I'll make sure that you're compensated for your time and, you know, everything is taken care of. And once again, great. I was so excited. I jumped in. I started doing the work. And at this point, we got all the way through to the end of the project. And I said, OK, you know, we uh, now now it's time for, for you to pay me. We need to you know, make some money exchange hands. And he says, well, actually, we, we went over budget on our expense for this project. I'm sorry, there's there's no money for you. And I was like, what? You told me I have I have it right here. Like we hadn't nailed down exactly the terms, but you said you were going to pay me. And uh, suffice it to say, I haven't done any more work for that individual. Um, but, you know, whenever I'm tempted to just dive in and start doing work now or whenever I'm tempted to start doing a project, even if the money side is sorted out and they've agreed to the dollar amount, you, you know, if we don't have a clear understanding, mutual understanding of what the scope is what success looks like, how we're measuring success, what the timelines are, what my responsibilities are, what their responsibilities are. Unless that is exquisitely clear, I don't do shortcuts on that. Not anymore. Not after making that mistake, not once, but twice. That's something that just, yeah, that was a lot of work to not get paid for. So was there a written contract and did you get paid uh, finally? No, I didn't have a written contract. And that was the whole problem is that we had done this whole thing via email. And my thought was, this is a big name person. They have a lot of respect. I had a lot of respect for them. And I trusted that we would be able to work it out. And, you know, what, what's the saying? Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. You know, we, we still don't do really extensive, crazy, you need a, a, a legal degree to be able to decipher what the contract says. But before any sale, there's always a very clear mutual understanding that this is exactly what we're delivering. This is how we're going to measure success. This is what the value is. And as such, that's what the price is. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that those things still happen. You never expect that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have some time left. I want to touch uh, briefly on habits. Are you big on habits? Uh, I believe very strongly in in habits. And I think that, uh, well, I know, uh, because a lot of what I do, of course, is research into human behavior and, and how people learn, that even if you aren't a habits person, habits are still running your life, whether you want to believe it or not. So if you had to pick one personal habit that uh, really contributes to your success, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. One One personal habit that contributes to my success. 
Oh, what would I pick? You know, it's uh, when, when I said that habits are something that we often do, even if we don't think about them as habits, that's, that's where my mind goes. Because for me, one of the habits that I have is to try and figure out in as much detail as I can what's going to happen before I get into a certain situation. I mean, it's to a point where um, I will, before I get on the phone with someone, I will rehearse to an extent what I want to say, what the first couple lines of the conversation are so that I know how I'm going to start and I can get into the conversation smoothly. Um, but that shows up in other areas of my life. And it's, it's such a habit that I don't even notice that I'm doing a lot of times shows up in business. You know, I'll sit down to write a project plan and my head is automatically going to go to, you know, what, what does this look like? How do we break it down? How does it work backwards? How can we fill in the gaps? What could go wrong? What could go really right? How are we going to adjust for that? And that's something that I, I learned early on. I mean, that was that was something that didn't. No, no one does that naturally. No one thinks through all the possibilities really naturally. No one plans. You know, as as a child, you don't plan how you're going to get across the room. You kind of figure it out as you're trying to crawl and then stand, and it's just a process of putting one foot in the front of the other. But over time, I've learned, and then it's become a habit. It's become so ingrained in me that it's not even something I do consciously, which is to take a moment before I do anything and pause and say, what is this going to look like? What? How am I going to show up in this situation? And the benefit of that is that, to some extent, that keeps me present. So it keeps me present in the moment. It keeps me focused on what I can control, and it helps me to feel as though I'm the one driving the bus. It's not that life is happening to me, but that to to an extent, to as much of an extent as possible, I am creating my reality. I think everybody has their own way to be more mindful. Some people have uh, diaries. Some people meditate. I guess everybody has to find their own way, and it really helps you, right? Yeah. I mean, you live with yourself 24-7, and your mind can either be your greatest friend or your greatest adversary. And the truth is, for all of us, at times it's going to be both. But it's only when we start to allow ourselves to become aware of our own thinking process that we can be intentional about what we're going to do with that information. Because all data is just data until we interpret it into information. And it's information that we can act on. It's been so fun talking to you. I want to wrap up today's talk with the topic happiness. What brings you joy and really makes you happy in this life? As I, I'm sitting and I'm looking around me, I can see I have quite a Lego collection. And uh, it's not specifically that it's it's Lego that brings me joy and happiness, but Lego for me represents something that brings me a lot of joy and a lot of happiness, which is allowing myself to play, allowing myself to not be, you know, stressed out, not have to have all the plans all the time. You know, as much as I say planning is a habit, there's sometimes where I just want to be able to just have some fun and let go and let my inner child out. And it's when I'm allowing myself to do that, to just let myself be who I am, that's where I find the joy, the authentic joy and happiness starting to emerge and bubble out is when I let that inside show up on the outside. Whoever has a chance to visit Mall of America in Minneapolis, they have a huge Lego store and they have <laughs> enormously beautiful um, 
Legos out there. Uh, let's end today's show with the parting piece of guidance from you and the best way to connect with you. Absolutely. So the best way that you can connect with me and my team is through our website, which is mnibconsulting.com. We're also on all the various social media that you would expect. Facebook, uh, I regularly do Facebook Live and we are always uh, available there. So that's just facebook.com slash mnibconsulting. And as for a parting piece of advice, the piece of advice I would give to the listener right now is to say, you know, at the end of the day, what you want to offer isn't nearly as important as the impact that your offer is going to have on your customer's life. And if whenever you're faced with a decision, whenever you're faced with trying to figure out where to go from here, where to spend your time, where to spend your money, how to, you know, what, what products to create, how to change how you're doing your marketing, any question that you come back to, if the question you ask yourself is what's going to be in the highest and best service of my customer and how can I give them the biggest impact that they're looking for, that answer will never lead you wrong. Let's end on that note. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.